It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. Recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org.au and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you use. You can also find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. My name's Kay Wenigle and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Laura Perry and Michael Steindl. Morning Kay, morning Michael. Good morning both. How are you? Good. Today we're talking to Mary Hendricks. She's an industry executive at the Australian Energy Storage Alliance, which is an independent information hub and a networking group for the energy storage sector. Mary also has the role of conference advisor for the Australian Energy Storage Conference in Sydney. Mary has over nine years' experience in the solar industry and promoting renewable energy in Australia. Her previous roles were in the Australian Solar Council as business development manager of All Energy Australia and as project coordinator of an Australian government-funded program for building enterprise in small small business. Mary has extensive business experience in her own ventures and a background in IT, and she is active in several groups in Australia, including Australian PV Institute, and she's also a a committee member of the Sydney branch of the Australian Institute of Energy. Hello, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks, Kay, Laura, Michael. Well, (laughs) Mary, can you tell us how you came to be working in this field of energy storage? Yes, uh, I'm a business owner working in the fast-changing IT industry and I became aware how quickly the world can change, how technology is embraced across the world. So when I came to the understanding about how our actions are changing the climate, it was a natural step for me to be interested in solutions involving innovation and new ideas. About 10 years ago, like many others, and also I think being in the early stages, I saw the potential of obtaining our energy from wind, sun and other renewable sources. And I thought that was the future and I wanted to be there, involved in this global shift to renewable energy. When you see a definite need for change, as I did, it's about bringing the skills that you have to the table. My business skills were promoting new technologies and encouraging entrepreneurship. Um, I think we all bring out our own skills, whatever we, we do, and when we start in, involved in a new area. Mm. Mm. So my interest became systemic change of our energy system, in some ways following the same pattern as how the internet developed, generating and sharing power at all levels, closer to where the power is used. And I could, I could see, you know, because this became eventually that we could need to store energy. Uh, the key element of that change, and that led to my interest in energy storage. Okay, so you identified that as a key area that needed yes. to be addressed very early on, obviously. Yes. Oh, well, about four or five years ago, sort of halfway through this mm-hmm. period, we, we, I think we all you know, launched into solar and, and thought it was great, and, and CSP, solar thermal, wind was great, but then we started to see there was an issue. I mean, energy storage... Uh, Solutions are important because they bring a whole new set of business models and ones that allow for aggregation of excess power 
and selling or trans or transferring that power. Um, being able to store energy is a key element, and that's about having power when and where we need it, and when it's useful to us, not mm. just on a one-way tap. Mm, of course, and it's something that it would be good if the federal government recognised that and had recognised that a little bit earlier on. So, Mary, tell us a little bit about the Australian Energy Storage Alliance. The Energy Storage Alliance formed just over two years ago, and following our first successful Australian Energy Storage Conference, I was the conference program manager for that originally, um, we saw a need for a dedicated group to represent the disruptive impact of these new and emerging technologies and to share the changes happening in the industry. We started the Energy Storage Alliance with 60 industry professionals and our brief was and is now advancing the safe uptake of energy storage solutions in Australia. Our focus has developed over time to becoming a voice for the new industry sector and we hold events, we provide updates, we have newsletters, we run the Australian Energy Storage Database and and we participate in discussions for change and we're uh, guided by a steering committee from the Australian industry and mentored by industry specialists. Um, one of those is very, very helpful to us from the California Energy Storage Alliance. So we have a strong alliance with California. Uh, we reach over about 100 participants, sorry, 800 participants, and we have a strong links also to the German Energy Storage Association. And we're developing links with China and India Energy Storage Alliance. Fantastic. You mentioned, Mary, um, the Energy Story. Uh, storage database. We're curious to hear about, uh, you know, what what is this and who is out there to use it? Okay, uh, that's a uh, an interesting project and it's um, a great fit for the Energy Storage Alliance and one that everyone can access. The Energy Storage Database lists many commercial and large-scale energy storage projects in Australia. Um, it's actually a portal to the Global Energy Storage Database. That was developed some years ago by Sandia National Labs of the US Department of Energy, we added our uh, our portal to it this Well, we always had some projects, but we added an Australian portal to this this year and we got some money from the, some funding from the New South Wales Energy and Resources Knowledge Hub for the development of the portal, so we're very thankful for that. Uh, the database overall holds about 1,600 energy storage projects. These are all at the commercial level. Um, with just over 60 of these in Australia, and we're expecting a lot of growth in this as, as more projects come online. We don't have every project, but we, we, we're looking to, to add more projects as we go. Um, if you like, I can tell you about some of the projects on there. It certainly. Um, we can cover that now, if you like. The Australian Energy Storage Database uh, lists projects of all types, including pumped hydro, flywheels, lead acid, lithium, or other types of batteries, flow batteries, uh, one of the recent ones, which is really a nice project up there, is uh, it was operational in June this year, is the solar and storage project at the Degrussa Gold and Copper Mine in Western Australia. It's a 10.6 megawatt single-axis tracking solar PV system and an impressive 6 megawatt lithium-ion battery energy storage unit. That's, a, that's an off-site one, um, but there are also on-site systems and, and a smaller one is, a, is the site featured is the Cork Trust Memorial Medical Centre in Dorigo, northern New South Wales. And this provides a small grid-connected microgrid which is able to respond in the event of a blackout. And the energy storage system is made up of gel lead-acid batteries which can store 72 megawatt hours of available electricity. Now, with lead-acid still used in a lot of the remote areas, um, 
lithium is obviously tracking very well and looking like replacing a lot of systems, but made acid still has a very strong place. Not all the um, energy storage systems in the database are based on batteries. We uh, we have the vast solar Gemalong Solar Station. It's the third site here. It's being developed as a commercial scale solar thermal power generation facility, and they're adding four hours energy storage from thermal energy storage tanks, and it gives the plant the ability to produce full output of the 30 megawatt power at night in addition to operating all day. And that plant's based on heliostats rather than solar PV. It's a, it's a solar thermal site. It's designed around Australian technology, and it will be. And it's likely to be completed in 2007. And if anyone wants to find out more, um, the, you can actually see this database. You can go through our website, which is Energy Storage Alliance, or one word, .com.au. There's a link to the database. Um, in terms of users, they're quite varied. Um, they range from planners, policymakers, investors, and researchers. Um, there's also a growing interest from the network and providers of transmission lines, looking at what resources are on the network. I think it's a place for them to see what's there. And I understand on the database you've got a fair bit of pumped hydro as well? Yes, there is. Um, Australia has a lot of pumped hydro, so you'll, you'll see systems on the pump. Mainly the systems have been there for a fair while, but, yeah, there are pumped hydro systems. So, Mary, those um, specific examples are obviously um, quite exciting, quite innovative. In general, can you tell us how energy storage is going to change the business models for, for both energy retailers and the networks? Yeah, um, the I guess what we talk about how energy storage is changing now. There, are, if you if you look at the field of energy storage, it covers quite a few areas. I mean, residential storage, off grid, on grid, and microgrid. And the in Australia, uh, energy storage at residential level is the one that's actually of great interest to everyone. And this is affecting the uh, business models of the retailers as well. Um, but a key driver for the large-scale manufacturer for, um, for this is the large-scale manufacture of batteries from electric cars. The spin-off has been low-cost batteries for home and businesses. So we're talking now about the residential side as opposed to the commercial, which, which is where the database focuses. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the low-cost batteries for, um, for houses from the cars... That's, um, I'm guessing, a, a double-sided effect. One is just the sheer volume brings the prices down and then what everyone's anticipating is that the second-hand batteries, if you like, as they become uh, no longer at peak performance required for cars, can then be moved on to houses and we're expecting a major uh, benefit for low-cost storage for houses from that. Is that correct? I think that, that last part about recycling the batteries will be a several years away. We, we don't actually have... Um, we don't have yet an electric vehicle market in Australia, so mm. getting, getting recycled batteries from electric vehicles is some years off. But the lower prices are really something that's coming in, that's really changing the market. Batteries have been used for many years in Australia in remote off-grid situations, and these are mainly chunky, heavy and quite expensive batteries. Mm-hmm. The, the, what's changed now is the mass manufacture of smaller, lighter and really nicely packaged units at reasonable prices is what impacted the residential energy space. Um, also, the other, the other, the driver for this, <coughs> me, is the uptake of energy storage in Australia with the the 1.5 million households who now have solar PV, and many of these are set to lose generous feed-in tariffs. Um, commencing in in New South Wales with about 146,000 households, 
at the end of this year, and quite a few in Victoria, although I think Victoria's tweaked a bit so that it's a little bit better prices for you there now. Victoria has um, had three layers of tariff, and the initial um, primary um, feed-in tariff lasts longer than the other two, but you're right, the other two are dropping off shortly, much in line with New South Wales. So that leaves people who are, who are now achieving quite a lot of dollars for their, for their solar power mm-hmm. looking at asking the question, uh, do I export for four to six cents a kilowatt hour or do I store my, my power, use my own power and self-consume? Uh, at the moment, the figures are, are not quite stacking up yet, but it won't take long. I mean, if you look at the way solar's come down, energy storage and batteries are coming down. Um, there are pockets of support. The ACT government has progressed on its battery storage auction, and they're uh, deploying 36 megawatts of, of, of cutting-edge distributed battery storage in, in 5,000 cattle territory homes and businesses mm. over the next so many years, about the next... So what's, what's uh, short of just people buying batteries to uh, and, and conducting their own business model, if you like, to, to get a reasonable payback period... What needs to happen or is happening in Australia to generate new business models to assist this transition um, to storage and renewable usage? Well, one of the areas is the um, some of the regulations are not necessarily uh, very conducive to what we're doing at the moment. Um, one of the situations was local power. Um, this was uh, something that was designed um, by uh, several groups. I think uh, the in New South Wales, the Institute of Sustainable Futures led this work and they were having trials to see how people could actually uh, sell and share power themselves or have local trading of power. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this week, that's not going ahead because the AMC has, uh, the AEMC has not, has decided this is not, they're not going to accept it as it is. There's going to be some acceptance, but local consumption is what we really need. Um, I think innovation will happen. Uh, the question is whether the regulatory bodies will actually work out how to, how to manage that as well. If you don't have the regulatory bodies working with us, then innovation is going to happen and you're going to get private systems of networks where people are going to share privately. So, so I think that there are some issues and challenges we have in Australia. But, but there are great constraints on that, aren't there? As soon as you try to send electricity across borders, you hit all sorts of um, right. legal That's right. restrictions. That's right. It doesn't really work in Australia. So I think, in a way, it's, it's making it's a, it's a dilemma for a lot of people. So, I mean, we have that... Uh, uh, the regulatory issue today is also an issue for, uh, for uh, the larger-scale systems as well. I mean, if we were designing our systems today from scratch, um, I think we'd design our systems with power being generated in smaller units, closer mm. to where the power is used. And we develop systems that look more like the internet, where power can be moved at various points across the network. Uh, yes. power, power generated closer to where it's being used uh, should be the building blocks of a modern power system, preferably with each power unit connected to the others via a two-way flexible grid system. There are, there are uh, moves to do this. Um, we're looking at uh, some very innovative systems from companies like Sun Verge and Reposit where they're looking at aggregating power from domestic residences and that power is then being sold on the spot market. Okay. So the, the one you just described before that's not going ahead, is that um, a, a deliberate blocking move? It, it, um, why is the AMO not proceeding with that? It's the AMC. I, I don't know the, all the ins and outs, but I think we'd have to go into that further. I just heard this week that this, this, this is not being accepted in, 
in the way it was proposed. Mm. Um, I think there are some <coughs> reviews of, of what's happening. We put a submission in earlier this year. There's another situation where currently uh, we we have a, a situation in Australia which is called the five minute five minute rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made a submission onto the AMC on this one. It, it's still not. It's still in progress. It's a five minute rule settlement in the NEM. In the current system, bids to the wholesale spot market are made in five minute intervals. But settlement is in the average of a 30 minute time period. Yes. <clears throat> With a five minute dispatch and settlement period, energy storage could provide a tangible benefit to the grid. In California, there's been a five minute settlement rule in place for several years. And the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission in the USA has recommended that all system operators move to a five minute settlement period. So having a five-minute dispatch period but a 30-minute settlement period forces storage resources to participate in the full 30-minute period. It lowers the return on investment to the owner. Um, this is still under review. We, we, we're learning about all these different rules, but there are a lot of rules and there's a whole collection of rules where they were set up in a time when, when we designed systems that were one-way and centralised, where um, they were based on very large central systems. And I think that it's a challenge for the regulators. Uh, they are working with this. They're trying to do what they can. Uh, there's some opposition. There's some, you know, there's some push. But we can't necessarily throw everything out immediately, but then we also need to make changes. So how do we move to a modern, a modern power system? How do we think about a system that we, if we started today, what would we do? Yep. Yeah. For those of you who have just joined us, you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show, and we're talking with Mary Hendricks, and discussing energy storage in Australia. So, Mary, you touched on that point about the regulators perhaps changing and changing slowly. Does your organisation have any influence or any input to that? Well, it wasn't what we originally started for. We started just to share information, and we found that we've been drawn into this. This is something that we're starting to learn about this year. It's, a, it's probably a new area for us. No, we do work closely with the Clean Energy Council. The Clean Energy Council has done regulatory work in Australia for a long time. And I think they are a very, a very good organisation to work with. So we're just making little inroads in areas where we feel that our voice can also be heard. Um, at this stage, it's, it's you know, getting the resources to do this. Uh, but listening to what people in our group are saying to us and then working out what, what is happening in the industry and finding where we can be effective. We can't see all things to all people, but we're trying to be as effective as we can. So um, in your position there, Mary, um, as um, looking after the Australian Energy Alliance, you'd get to see all the technologies. Tell us which ones show the most promise at the moment from what you've seen. Ah. <laughs> well, we, we don't pick winners at the Energy Storage Alliance. We just look at outcomes and, and business models. Yeah, not, as, and, uh, not asking you to advocate for them, but just the exciting things you've seen, the possibilities. Yeah, I guess... Um, there's a lot of credible companies who, are, uh, who understand the potential of energy storage and they're bringing options to the market. And um, I guess in the residential area, you'll hear, well, actually in a lot of, not just residential, but you'll hear names like Tesla, LG Chem, Sonnen Australia, BYD, Enphase Energy, Panasonic, Sony, and among others. And this is mainly the lithium battery, uh, lithium iron market. Mm-hmm. And that's a really big ramp, a market that's ramping up. But each, each of these has their own unique offering to the market. There is quite a lot of different, uh, so you know, you might be looking at one that has a longer lifetime, another one has very fast response. I mean, we're looking at different ones that can be smaller and put with, with in-phase energy systems are quite small AC couple of systems. Mm. 
Um, yeah, there's there's some very nice energy maps for those that want to search on the internet that that yeah. um, map uh, the the amount of storage, um, the time, how how much storage, how long it can go for, versus how quickly it can discharge. And, That's and, right. Um, and I- both those are really important factors. And and there's a third factor that comes in, which is um, what are called network services, stabilising the grid, which some of these are used for at that level Absolutely. too. Absolutely. There are very many different options. And the new battery designs are being launched into this market and introducing innovative products, you know, for a market where suddenly weight isn't an issue. What, lithium, hmm. of course, does not came out of the weight issue. Um, mm-hmm. There's innovations from the uh, recyclable and saltwater battery system from Aquian Energy. It's got strong traction, but it has a very unique uh, position in the market and... Australian innovation uh, is also in the mix, and we 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 do have a soft spot for Australian ingenuity. Mm. Um, although we're agnostic to all approaches, we <laughs> we love Australian innovation. And Redflow, who developed a zinc bromide battery in Brisbane, now exports these around the world. And their residential version of this flow battery, the Zedfil, which is perfectly timed for the expected demand at the end of the year, is now available for Australian homeowners. Just come become available because mm, the. The essence of a flow battery is the ultimate capacity just depends on, on how much fluid you want to run through it. And, um, yeah. And yeah. so you can have basically an infinitely sized battery. Uh, that's, that's as, right. They're actually more benign than lead acid in a way, and the electrolytes yeah. are in separate tanks. And, and generally they're non-flammable. Um, flow batteries are said to offer you know, very safe systems with full depth of discharge, uh, and they maintain their energy output over a long lifetime. Again, you have to consider everything. These are going to be something that you have to pay a little bit more for. Mm. You, you have to consider whether that fits what you want. So for every choice, for every person who chooses an energy storage system, it will be a different choice. Mm. Regarding the um, payback times on the residential-scale batteries, some say that it's quite a few years before the batteries cover their own costs. Do you have any input into that, or do you see the figures at all? Can you, at this stage... Talk about that. We don't go into that sort of depth. We don't. We do print some of these on our, in our newsletters that go out. We have monthly newsletters that go out. People can, everyone can subscribe to those, and we do get these from time to time, and we put them in our newsletters. We, I don't personally look at them very, very much because I think, oh, if you if you looked at the payback times with early solar systems, yes, <laughs> fifteen years ago, <laughs> they, they wouldn't have been very good. No, they weren't. But, but <laughs> I, I guess it. It changed very quickly, and, and of course, individual situations for solar systems even 15 years ago were effective. And some of those panels are going for well, we've got panels going for 25 years. So, I mean, where's the payback now? If it, originally they may not have been cost effective, but they're still being used. Yeah, um, personally, Mary, we we have a solar system that's um, 960 watts, cost about fifteen thousand dollars. I knew we would never even pay the interest on it, but it was it was a moral commitment. But um, recently added four times that capacity for half the cost. Mm, that's right. Um, with the, the question I asked you about the battery technologies, I, I realised or the, where they were going. There's actually two parts to that question. One is the technologies which we discussed, but the other is the, the business models and the companies um, that are implementing that. So people like Reposit Power and stuff, can you talk to us about any of those options that you're seeing happen that – actually have new business models to allow this storage to, to permeate our culture? Yeah, I think we need to think about it um, is uh, a more flexible system, not a one-way system, as I said. And, and mm. We're looking also at microgrids. Um, 
once you once you have a system in your home and you can island that system, you effectively have your own tiny grid. And if it extends to other power sources, you you're the owner of a microgrid. And well, Reposit and Reposit is a different system. Reposit is a system where they're actually aggregating power from different people and then selling that power. I, uh, it's it's novel. It's innovative. It's something that hasn't been done in a lot of other places. Um, but I think a lot of more, and that that will have its own place. That's thinking smart about energy storage. That's how we can use the power and, and join it together. Because as a single owner, you can't um, sell power to uh, the grid necessarily, but you can as a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing you, you, we can look at is, which I think is innovative, is microgrids. And this is where you uh, where you sign up with the company to access your energy storage and, well, um, subject to regulatory system in place, you're able to sell your power to others. And this is called through a virtual power plant. <clears throat> you're able to provide power on demand at peak time. Uh, and this is where your, your, um, your software is aggregated and... You, you, you basically work out who you want to sell your power to. It doesn't really matter if you have a battery that's large or small. If you have excess power, you've invested in storing that power and there's an opportunity. And one that may not easily stack up now, it's, it's not easy for you to go and find someone to sell your power to. But it is possible and it's financially viable. And that is one thing that will drive down the cost of energy storage significantly. And with power prices going up, being able to sell the power, it, it may be better that you actually sell the power than use it, and then you use the grid power yourself later. Mary, thank you very much. Um, you've already told us that we can um, find out more at the Energy Storage Alliance, all as one um, term, .com.au. Mary, I, I just wanted to touch on another role that you play as conference program advisor for the Australian Energy Storage Conference and Exhibition. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Ah, yes. Um, well, I was the conference program manager for three years and I stepped back a bit now to do more of the alliance work and the the conference this year had the theme of thinking smart about energy storage and I think we're coming up with a, a, with a, a new theme for next year. The, it's our flagship event. It's our annual conference in Sydney. It also has an exhibition alongside. The exhibition's grown every year in the last three years. We have a lot of interest from overseas companies coming there, so and we have a lot of interest in networks. It started because the the need to put networks together with energy storage companies and with users was very important because we had a situation in Australia before where there were networks, there were energy storage companies, and they were not talking together. So over the time, we've had this, this strong theme of having our utilities and networks involved. We've had our innovative companies involved. We've had our smart thinking people, our software designers who design these, these layered systems that go on top, which is what makes it all work together, come together and have a great time as well as talk together and share what they can do. Terrific. That sounds wonderful. And that's in Canberra. Uh, sorry. That's, oh, it's in Canberra. I thought it was no, Sydney. No, sorry, Canberra. We're going to Canberra. In Canberra that's this in, time. That's in Sydney. We're going to be Sydney in June. Okay. <laughs> Sydney. Well, in June, Sydney in June in, for that conference. In 2017, yes. Thank we you do. so much for your time today, Mary. That's been very informative. And our listeners can find out more from um, the your website, the um, Australian Energy Storage Alliance. Uh, it's energystoragealliance.com.au. .com.au. Thank you very much, Mary. Thanks, Mary.
The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to listen to the show or any of the others, you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts. You can also find us on on Twitter at (laughs) BZE Tech Show. And just a reminder, as, as we have the last couple of weeks, anyone who wants to actually do something concrete towards um, changing our society towards a renewable and sustainable society, marketforces.com.au. We're running a National Divestment Day on October the 8th. Um, go to marketforces.com.au. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pantage. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.